Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Try, Fail, Learn podcast. The podcast all about professionals and the lessons they've learned through the years. This week we are fortunate enough to have Brad Luttrell. He is the CEO and co-founder of Go Wild. So without further ado, let's get into it. Well, Brad, thank you so, so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time. It's been a little bit since the first time we talked, but I'm glad that we get to sit down and just have a conversation and talk about things. Um, I don't even remember how I came across Go Wild for the first time, um, but I knew that as soon as I saw some of the stuff y'all were posting and talking about, I loved it. I was all about it. And I'm not an outdoors person per se. You know, I didn't grow up hunting or fishing or anything like that. But um, before we get started, why don't you give an introduction to yourself and, and then we'll we'll go. Yeah. Even before that, thank you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm excited. I know uh, it was a little difficult to get this on the calendar. I think we started talking about this in the middle of my trade show season. And I was yeah. like, dude, you just got to give me a little bit of time. So here we are. I'm pumped. Um, I, you know, the intro... It's funny because I do a lot of hunting podcasts and they're like, tell me about your hunting, how you got into hunting. And that's the, the intro. Um, but it's kind of hard to do my general intro without talking about that a little bit because I grew up in Southeastern Kentucky. Uh, it's Appalachia. People immediately are wondering why I don't have the funny accent, but I, I did. And then I went to college and um, sadly lost a little bit of it. Although uh, my wife would tell you typically like a, a phone call back home or, you know, maybe a couple, uh, pours of bourbon and it does come back. It's still there. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, I grew up in, in Southeast Kentucky. I went to school at university of Kentucky and got a journalism degree and, uh, moved to Memphis. I was a contract freelance photographer for the newspaper down there for about, uh, almost a year. Well, not even a year. Uh, like nine months, uh, I was down there, did not like it. Um, and also had a girlfriend living in Louisville. And so, um, funny enough, I had this big project coming out of college that, um, won some awards. One of those, uh, came with some money. So I came, moved, moved to Louisville, bought an engagement ring and, uh, started my life here in Louisville. I founded a wedding photo agency. I did that for a couple of years and, uh, I was a photojournalist, like a, a stringer is what they call us freelancers. And I did that for, you know, I shot for the London Financial Times. I shot for the Courier Journal here locally and different magazines and schools and stuff like that. And the, <clears throat> the hard part of doing contract work is the, the hustle, man. It's like such a grind. You it's feast or famine. And I just kind of got tired of it after a couple of years, the wedding photo agency was doing pretty well, but I, you know, I, I ended up just wanting to not be able to focus on where my client leads are coming from. And I wanted to focus on my, 
my personal growth. Uh, I also kind of realized over time that I wasn't that good of a photographer. Like I wasn't bad, but in the, in the world of photography, um, I just realized that I was, I was like 70 to 80% of what the top talent was in the area. Like these guys, some of these guys were just so good. And, um, it, it, whether it was weddings or photojournalism, whatever, I just was not top-notch talent. And, mm. um, so I, I, for a multitude of reasons, just wanted out. And I started applying for jobs. I literally applied for 40 or 50 jobs that spring, got no replies except for one. Uh, and I ended up kind of clawing my way into this ad agency after an unreal long uh, or, uh, application process and interview process. And I started in social media. Uh, I kind of leveraged my background of growing my companies through social media. I had done social media when I was in college working for the student newspaper. I was the editor there, but before that I was like the, we called it like the mixed media editor, which today would be, I don't know, like a digital editor or something like that. Okay. Um, so I'd been doing it for a bit, but I kind of got my first start in, in advertising as social media. I uh, did that for a year there. And then I kind of moved over to PR. Uh, I had a, this is always a funny part of my background. Um, my now co-founder of Go Wild and I, and actually even our head of business development, the three of us were co-founding a company on the side. And it was kind of this hush-hush deal because we knew we'd get fired if they found out. Well, they laid off my co-founder um, at the time uh, who was in a different department. And they went through his personal Dropbox and found the operating agreement. And guess what? They fired me. Uh, so it was it was a nasty whoa, ordeal. Whoa, whoa. They went through yeah, his yeah. personal Dropbox? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Uh, it was it was nasty. Like it was, wow. it was a lot of things about it that weren't right. Um, and they fired me and said that I was trying to steal the agency's clients for my new company and all this stuff was made up. Um, what really happened was there were screenshots of what we did at work so that we could show the co third co-founder of kind of some of the experience we had that was relevant. Um, mm. But I we well, it's kind of funny because we wanted to build this company um, that was a data analytics company that would analyze restaurant data and use it for marketing. And a lot now Google does a lot of this automatically. But, you know, in 2012, we wanted to build a company that could look at your order data and help people find the time to hit when there wasn't a lot of foot traffic seasonally, or to be able to look and find restaurants that on Valentine's Day have seating capacity, um, or to help restaurants be able to analyze their average ticket and to be able to market the products that draw the best type of customers, not just the most volume, but like if you knew that your best customer ordered a Sam Adams instead of a Bud Light in your marketing, you'd probably put Sam Adams, right? But none sure. of these restaurants that we worked with on the advertising side were looking at that data. So hmm. we had this idea for this awesome company. And at the end of the day, like we just did not care about restaurants. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> literally could not have been less passionate about that business. So I got fired. Um, Zach went on to work at another startup, a data startup. I went on my merry way um, to another ad agency. I worked there for five years. I worked my way up from a copywriter through uh, I was a videographer at some point. I was the associate creative director. And then I was eventually became the creative director for the agency. And um, I, I was doing a lot of branding and, and digital marketing. And um, I'll, I'll just like, I'll, as you do in a small agency, still wearing a lot of hats, still getting to do a lot of different stuff, launching a lot of brands. Like that was a big part of my job. Uh, we did a lot of web builds. Um, the, you know, I was working on anything from 
50,000 to half a million dollar projects on the website. So like they were pretty big uh, wow. website yeah. we, for, for the region. We were a really good team. Like we were one of the better teams in the area. Um, so I learned a ton from that and I had really great teammates and I actually was really sad when I left that team to leave for go wild. But at some point, you know, I started, um, trying to hunt again, like I had in my, my childhood and I really sucked at deer hunting, which is what I wanted to get into. And it was 2016 and I'm like, this is insane that I cannot find a community online to be able to learn from. And, you know, I finally just said, screw it. I'm going to go found it. And I, I had, ever since I got fired, I'd kind of been looking for something that, um, you know, I wanted to, I, I, even when I got that last job at that agency where I spent five years at, but when I came in, I was like, I will leave eventually to go do my own thing. It's coming. I hope that's not a problem. Uh, if it, if it is, I don't want to work here. Cause I just got fired for that. Right. Yeah. And, they let me, they let me come on. They, they were supportive of it. And actually the CEO ended up being an investor here when, uh, you know, down the road. So, um, you know, they were incredibly supportive and I'm, I'm still actually still friends with them. I'm, I'm hanging out with my old boss next week. Um, oh, cool. so, uh, you know, the, the path you kind of mentioned, like some of it makes sense. Um, sure. but a lot of times, like when I'm raising money now, people are like, wait, you're a journalism guy. Like what? Like that part of it as a CEO of a tech company, is is very uh unexpected the background yeah. of being like a photojournalist typically don't become tech ceos or commerce ceos um but what it's helped what's helped the most is the storytelling side of it you know i'm sure yeah. you and i got connected probably through some of our content which has been something i'm really passionate about you know we do yeah. a really good job of, of content we um we crank out an incredible amount of blogs and we have eight podcasts a month that we put out ourselves and um, it's a lot of work, but you know, the storytelling side of the business has been a strength of ours since day one because of that journalism background. So the, the foundation of go wild, right? You said you got it back into hunting. You wanted to do deer hunting, but a lot of what I take from now, maybe I'm wrong on this, but the main thing that attracted me to go wild and everything you guys produce is, um, the fact that you guys are standing up for the outdoor industry, right? Whether that be hunting or whatever it is. And in so many ways, you guys get chopped off at the knees because the overlords of Facebook have decided. Oh, yeah. I mean, it happened today, even with Google. I mean, it's it's all of the platforms right. that, so, that kind of work against us. Right. Was that like the foundation of building Go Wild or that was just a byproduct that just came about? Actually, that was... um None of that was really happening when we founded the company. And people now... Now people think like, oh, it's so obvious that this is needed if they're in the industry. Sure. If they're not, um, I've had to explain to a lot of investors that this is actually a problem because they just people are just totally unaware. It's the same thing yeah. happens if you if you have anybody on here that talks about like founding a CBD company, they're facing the same stuff. You know, right. it, it's these it's these edge brands that are in a new space that's either unregulated or misunderstood, and we're in that misunderstood category. Um, so. You know, the um the 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 space at the time was really what we what we recognized in our part of the hypothesis from 2016. And it really there were kind of two elements to that like, yes, I wanted to get better at hunting, but the other thing was I had the thought of, well, if I even get a deer this year, I'm gonna post it on Facebook because the trolling and the the bullying and the harassment had gotten so bad. And even with coworkers, I had a I have had coworkers in the past when I was on Facebook and working at other companies that would say stuff either in person or, you know, I have one of my old bosses that said something to me over a deer of like, Oh, do you feel like a man now? And I'm like, this is crazy that I can't talk about something that I love doing this much. Yeah. But the, 
the platforms had very little regulation around that and it's nothing like what it is today a lot of it's automated that's built in it's machine learning it's um, artificial intelligence and it happens instantaneously like tiktok's the best example of that if you upload a video of a gun on tiktok and they can scan it and recognize especially a full firearm that's not like cut off in the frame uh they'll take the video down immediately if this happens you know, five, six, seven times, they'll just delete your account. It's all automated. Um, they, they're scanning the content in real time to look for things that are against their guidelines. Um, I could talk all day about how vague TikTok's guidelines really are. Yeah. Uh, some of it is explicit. You cannot show a picture of a firearm. I even know people who have had, you know, water guns deleted from TikTok uh, because they thought it'd be funny to talk. Like, And we did that too. We have this account that we're running uh, that's not go all branded. It's kind of like a top secret account right now. But the um, we used a water gun in in the, the video because it was funny. And we were trying to show like a scope mounted on there. And, oh, okay. you know, this, some of this stuff gets recognized, though, from the A.I., and, and it, artificial intelligence scans it and it thinks it's a weapon and deletes it. So it's come a long way. But the, at the time, none of that was really going on. Our bet was that if Facebook, which was the worst offender, was not regulating the harassment of hunters, they've kind of already made their decision on how they're going to handle this stuff. And our business model bet was that these companies, as they got kicked off, were going to need a place to advertise. And so we were going to build the biggest network so that when that tipping point happened, um, we would be who they have to turn to. All of this was falling into place really well. Um, twenty come, come 2019 going into 2020, um, you know, I have a competitor analysis that we did in 2017 of about a dozen companies and uh, seven or eight of them are gone. They didn't make it. Wow. And so like we were the top dog kind of coming. Well, there was, there's a couple, I mean, like there um, and obviously I'm not going to name my competitors and call attention to them, but like <laughs> there were a couple other ones out there and they're still out there. Yeah. Uh, of the, but most of them do mapping like social mapping, which is way different than what we do. But our big bet was that we would be able to springboard and be a place that had the ad tech that these companies would be interested in. What's interesting is when 2020 hit COVID hits, the recession hits, the first thing to get cut was advertising. And so we'd spent three and a half years moving into something that was now dead in the water. Mm. So, yeah. you know, the whole bet on advertising, when we always knew we needed another revenue stream, um, we had kind of worked with it, experimented with some different things and hadn't really found it yet. Um, we didn't really want to do the subscription play because that's what everybody does. And it um, there's complications with that. So we had avoided all that. And, uh, you know, 2020 hits and advertising is gone. A lot of our contacts at companies get laid off or fired or whatever. And, you know, come June, advertisers are like, well, we're just not getting budget back. We thought we'd have it back by now. But in fact, the, the supply chain's decimated. We're not even going to have product until next year. And, you know, Dang. by July, we weren't in panic mode, but it was very clear that we had to figure something out. Yeah. And so we actually abandoned the whole model that we've been building since 2016 in a lot of ways and became an e-commerce company. So the social commerce play of like, we have the ability to interact with products now, but you can also buy them. And right. so, you know, even though we had that long-term vision and a lot of it turned out to be true because you can't advertise. We got, we got kicked off Facebook um, for advertising binoculars, weren't selling guns and we got blocked. We've been blocked twice for selling binoculars on Facebook. We're still blocked. We quit working with Facebook and uh, wow. on Halloween. Uh, Halloween was the last time we spent a dime with Facebook. Um, 
And so, and, and like even today, Google gave us a warning because they said we're selling products that aren't in line with their ad services. Um, and they're talking about red dots. So it's an optic for a firearm. So, you know, um, it's a, it's a wild world, man. I mean, and, and it's more complicated than like Silicon Valley hates guns. It, you know, people wish it was that simple. And I, I in some ways I do too, because it makes me like my messaging could be really strong, but a lot of this stuff comes down to like Facebook, for example, they get their content moderation wrong 200,000 times a day per their own data. Right. So well, a lot of what's happening is the, that binocular ad, for example, stuff gets that they, they get it wrong through automation. It goes to someone in India or wherever they've got their team. You know, there's, there's, tens of thousands of contractors that work for Facebook reviewing something against the content policy. Right. They spend 90 seconds looking at it and they, they don't know the nuance between violence and hunting, right? Like that's not something they culturally familiar to them and they just err on the side of caution. And they're like, nah, I don't Nope. 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 Binoculars. Mm. It's like, Oh, I don't really understand what this product's used for, but he has camo on and people wear camo when they go to war or <laughs> it's like, you know, there's yeah. a lot of this stuff is just kind of lumped together. And the other things that like, it's not even the hunting industry likes to feel that Facebook is the big bad wolf for us, but we're just this annoying nuisance for the most part, because they're dealing with things like beheadings, live suicides, um, terrorists, you know, uh, right. the drug cartel is successfully recruiting on Facebook and Facebook knows it but they haven't really done anything about it. Like they have all these other problems. And right. so a lot of our industry, the the greatest gripe is really just like, they don't care because we're, we're like small enough to where they can kind of uh, push us aside. We're big enough to where we do have economic impact, but, but we can't spend money there. So it's kind of all irrelevant at the same time. And so, so, so like the bet was good for us. It just didn't shake out the way I thought it was going to because of the pandemic. At the end right. of the day, though, and I'm giving like a really long answer to this question. I'm sorry. No, it's perfect. Um, it's perfect. But the at the end of the day, um, you know, you before we even started talking, you started you were talking about the value of pivots in your career. Right. I mean, the best thing that ever happened to us was COVID from a business model perspective because it killed our business model. Forced you to change. To, yeah. It forced us to change, and it, you know, and it it ended up like I now by the end of the year in 2020, I was like, Oh my God, how did I not see this sooner? Right? Like, how did I not think to do this sooner? And you know, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Like there's no way we could have gotten there quicker because it took the things that happened to make us realize the opportunity that was there that no one else was doing this either. You know, now, um, I told you there's a couple other competitors out there, but I look at everybody else and they're all fighting over table scraps with mapping. No one's doing what we're doing in commerce, man. Like mm. that is, that is ours for the taking. We are the gear junkie named us, um, in, uh, 2021, uh, 2021's, um, social app of the year for hunting because of the gear functionality. They did not release that listing this year, or I suspect we would have taken it again because like we are at the forefront of what's being done on commerce and social. So, right. um, you know, we ended up in this awesome place, but it's taken some ups and downs to get here. Yeah. Which you find oftentimes with any company, whether it's tech or anything, that when hard times hit or something that really seems like it would make a company struggle, it tends to to force you to change. Like I, my my dad works for a pool builder here in Florida, um, and when the pandemic came, we were like, "Dude, you're you're done. Like, yeah, nobody's going to be buying a pool. They have business booked out till like 23." Well, yeah, and they have I mean, Americans done... pocketed more money in 2020 than any year previously. Crazy, 
crazy. And so there's like, it didn't change anything, but they, it didn't go the way they thought it would during the pandemic yeah. or like the company that I'm actually leaving this week. Um, we spent the last year developing all the classes that we were teaching in person into e-learning. So now going into when we can run class sessions and have people there, now we have a model that people can take their e-learning at home and then come, we can maximize their time here locally. So we're not spending time and resources and man hours yeah. to train them. They can do that from their house. So overall, it, that forced the company to make a better decision for them in the long run where they're going to be able to earn you know, I'm not with them, but they're gonna be able to earn a lot more money for the time they invest in the product. Um, so something that I think is desired to be simplified to a point that it cannot be simplified is this idea of censorship. And um, there's a lot of people who believe and this is, I don't even have like a firm like I think this is the solution. Um, but like you were saying, like Facebook is dealing with things like live suicides and beheadings. And I don't remember what we were, my wife and I were reading some article the other day about, you know, the first time that there was a homicide recorded live on Facebook and broadcasted. And that brought up like a lot of questions of like, what do you censor and what do you allow? Or, you know, there are like a lot of adult content is on the internet and like trying to protect kids from being exposed to adult content. And so where is the line? And I kind of want to ask you, and maybe this is a hot take, but what do you think the line between um too much and not enough where do you think that breaks off yeah it, i i've i've been having this uh discussion publicly with some of my blogs on go well yeah and i've been pretty open that i don't know the right answer but i think i think we're erring on the side of too much on most platforms right now um, and I'm going to say something. I'm not going down this crazy rabbit hole. So don't freak out audience. Uh, but let's look at vaccinations. Um, excellent example. That's fresh on everybody's mind. Uh, half the audience just said, yes, this is going to be awesome. Half of them probably said like, oh, I'm ready to hate this guy because this gets so many people fired up. Right. Um, but it is a fact that people were kicked off of Facebook, of YouTube, of Twitter, of LinkedIn for saying things that the CDC actually came out or who came out, the WHO came out and said, no, that's true. But right. it happened months later, but we weren't allowed to talk about it. It was called, uh, you know, uh, vaccine hesitancy or uh, whatever the label of the week was. Sure. Um, but we censored people over something that even the medical community didn't understand. But for the sake of not allowing discussion, we censored it to try to get in line with the government who just wanted us to stop talking about it. Right. And, you know, I'll, I'll say on here, I am vaccinated. I'm not that guy. I'm not trying to like spread any amount of uh, the doubt in the vaccine, but even on, you know, the Joe Rogan blew up the internet, but with, with his conversations with Dr. Malone and a lot of the things Dr. Malone said, it was like 10 days later, WHO is coming out, the World Health Organization is coming out and saying things, not addressing anything about his show. But they said, oh, yeah, um, the vaccine actually is less effective on Omicron. Like that came out and was said after. But that's part of what he got ripped about on on, on Twitter and all of the misinformation. Um, you know, a lot of things that were said about that. And, and he's been called for cancel culture. Um, and, you know, uh, people are killing their Spotify subscriptions over this stuff and they didn't even listen to the conversations right? right i mean we are very much living in a world that um you know i have a journalism degree and like i i like 
the First Amendment. I'm 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 a big fan of it, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not you know a lot of the you talk to hunters, you got one of our two A shirts on. It's like the, talk a lot about the Second Amendment, but man, without the power of the First Amendment and free discussion and the ability to ask questions, nothing else really matters because right. your right and your access into all of the information to be informed about those other things comes from our ability to discuss. Right. So. I think we're already there um, from a discussion point of too much censorship. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, you know, you say that and people are immediately ready to roll with their private companies. They can do what they want. Um, we are approaching an interesting intersection that really the only analogy is to like your phone company, which is a common carrier, uh, which I won't even claim to really understand all the ways that, you know, that monopoly is allowed to exist. Uh, but like your your phone company... Does, is not allowed to say like, hey, we don't like the conversations you're having you, uh, because you support guns. We're going to cut off, cut you off. Or, hey, you had a conversation about uh, with your friend about not getting vaccinated and we're going to cut you off. Right. Like that's not allowed. But yeah, we have yet. yet right. Um, but we do have uh, platforms like Google, which controls ninety one point five percent of search. So they, they literally provide answers to 91.5% of the world's questions, right? Sure. Google owns YouTube, which is bigger than all of the other search engines combined. Right. Um, and, and so you have these companies that have incredible ability to manipulate answers, to control conversations and narratives. And I, I don't know the answer to this. And I usually lean libertarian on everything. So I'm like super anti, um, you know, more structure. But I do think it's at least worth discussion if we aren't at a point where, um, you know, these left leaning, I mean, it's Silicon Valley, man. I mean, like this is yeah. the the nucleus of liberalism. And and there are things that are happening within these platforms that are not fair. Right. Um, and, and again, I fall more kind of in the middle. I'm almost more contrary and as my political belief, like I just hate everybody. Um, <laughs> but the... <coughs> I, I think there's discussion that needs to happen around how do we keep um, just because Silicon Valley has developed the tech that's that scaled, like, do we really want them alone making up the rules that the rest of the world communicates by? And I right. don't know that the answer is yes to that. I, and again, you know, my my hardcore uh, conservative friends might hear that and be like, dude, you want more government control or more government oversight of, of our communications? And I'm like, well, no, but look at where it's gotten us so far without anybody, you know, I mean, literally when you have senators asking Mark Zuckerberg, how do they make money? And he's like, we sell ads, Senator. Like, we are at that level of understanding. They're that stupid when it comes to tech. They don't even understand how Facebook can make a dollar. You know, and and like if you watched any amount of those hearings, it's like it's laughable. They don't understand it. So, um, you know, I think I think the wool's been pulled over our heads on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, that's a vague answer. I don't know if I answered it really, but like that, that's kind of where I live is just, you know, constantly perplexed by all of these dynamics, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't think there is a right answer to, to the question because it. It's just too broad, you know what I mean? And in a world where we're still trying to navigate, I mean, the leaders of our nation don't even understand one of the most prevalent pieces of American society, which is social media and the internet. Um, I don't think there, I, I don't think anybody's going to come up with the perfect answer. But that's well, kind I, of 
Go ahead. Reddit Reddit lived through. I'm reading the Reddit book right now, which is interesting because Go Wild is probably more similar to Reddit than most social platforms. Okay. Um, so I, I really don't know why it took me so long to read this book. Which actually, I don't think it's that old. But Reddit lived through a lot of what um, conservatives would probably argue for, which is no regulation, right? Which sounds sure. great. Let's let everybody just have conversations. And um, you, if you read that Reddit book, you can see the the early days that they were hardcore First Amendment. They would not take down anything. Um, they fought for subreddits that even were like, uh, you know, subreddit of uh, jailbait, and 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 like they're defending things that are horrible, like mm. child porn, and they were just whatever it was. It was it has a they have a right to be here. We are not meddling in the content, and it did not scale, and it did not scale at all. I mean, they, they got into a lot of really nasty situations, man. Um, I mean, for me, like no brainer, if like child porn, like nothing angers me more than endangering a child. And um, I've got kids and I've just I, like that disgusts me. And I would have never been able to put up with that as long as Reddit did. But that's an example. I think that most people can say, ooh, that's why we don't want to have no regulation of this stuff. Right. Like, right. The the worst corners of the Internet will find something that can scale. Exactly. And you're going to welcome in. Um, racism like you cannot believe you're gonna you're gonna welcome in the darkest pits of the internet and that's what happened to reddit it's a I, really this book has been very interesting and it's it's a very good lesson on why we do need some level of content moderation right right the reality is too that everybody who likes to say that i'm you know accepting of all walks of life the reality is nobody is accepting of every walk of life right and and the people that want to live in like a moderately comfortable sophisticated home don't want like heroin addicts hanging around their house or you know breaking into <laughs> yeah. their house that kind of thing or vice versa on the other side of the spectrum and so nobody is truly inviting to every society and every walks of life and if you tell yourself you are you're fooling yourself well it's funny man a lot of people um through a lot of different events, you know, the Capitol riot, we saw a surge of people joining go out because they got fed up with Facebook when Trump got banned. Um, you know, we get people that come on and they're like, yeah, go out's our first minute amendment place. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you thinking that, but we're not like, I'm not, I, it, you can read our terms. There's a lot of things you can say that might be within your first amendment right to go shout it on the sidewalk, but I'll, I'll delete your ass out of go out for it. Like mm. you cannot make fun of somebody on our platform for shooting a small deer. That's something that is, has no place in our community. Um, it, it does happen within the hunting community. It happens on Reddit. It happens on Instagram. It does not happen on our platform because we will delete you for it because that's right. that, that type of harassment doesn't happen like where we don't allow it. Uh, it's, it's not, that is not something that's going to help make more hunters. Um, same for fish or whatever. I just used uh, a deer as an example. Um, you cannot harass somebody for taking something if it is legal. So you may not like trapping. Uh, you may not like how they took their animal, but if it was legal, they're allowed to do it. So, you know, yeah. if you harass them for that, we'll, we'll delete you. Um, so there, there's, there's certain like within our, even within our construct, you know, we don't, we don't welcome politics, but we don't delete you for posting it, you sure. know, but uh, we have, we do have guidelines around hate speech. And if you come in and, you know, you're spewing uh, anything that violates our hate speech, uh, even again, it may be within your first amendment right to say it, but if you're threatening other people uh, or, or, you know, again, attacking somebody, harassing somebody, we will delete you. Right. So we, we've not really, I didn't create go wild to be 
your first amendment right platform like we we created it so that people could just conversate and connect and and like that again going back to my problem like um i i've i've said i said this at lunch today and now i'm like did i even say this on the podcast i think i mentioned <laughs> how i like sucked at hunting right yeah um like that was part of what got this going like trying to connect people like you would at camp like if you were around a fire you know talking that's what we try to replicate i'm not here to solve the world's uh racial problems or uh political problems most people right. on our platform actually would if you went in and posted anything about biden or trump either one um you know you'd probably have some members say hey we don't really do that here because this is kind of a nice place where we don't have to talk about politics right? exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah. And that's a, it's an interesting conversation about censorship. And I think that it, I mean, you and I could go on for hours and hours and hours. So I can, we'll, and I have, and I probably will continue to do so. And it's like, I don't have any more answers. Um, yeah. I am just always feeling it out. Like a lot of times, even as I'm talking, I'm trying, I'm thinking through, I just think it's super nuanced. We're at a time, um, you know, it's not that long ago, uh, we were using printing presses to relay our thought and, even right. even how the First Amendment was enacted was so different then to now. I mean, everybody's a publisher now, right? And that like that's where it gets crazy. That's right. where you know your listening audience can't see, but I can take this thing and I can use this this little bitty device that fits in my pocket. Mm -hmm. um, and for any perverts out there, I'm holding a phone, not something else. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but I can take my phone, right? And I can become a publisher. I can, po right. I can post a tweet. I can have a blog. Um, that's, that's where this is all unprecedented is, is right. that literally any Yahoo can go uh, find other people like them. We create these echo chambers and, and it, it can, you know, before, you might have to meet by torches in the woods to meet other people who were as crazy as you. And now it is super easy to find a subreddit for you. Right? I was gonna say, yeah, it's called Reddit. <laughs> yeah, Reddit. It's like, that's like like hundreds of thousands of people that come together in fat shame, right? Like, I mean, yeah. there is literally anything you're into. I could it's spew got a off like crazy stuff and it's probably got a collection of like 40,000 people who are just sure. as messed up as you are. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And I, it's a conversation that will never end. And it's just because, I mean, I think that's why the First Amendment is so important, because if we can't continue to have conversations where ideas are exchanged, um, like even the people that are like super pro, like no censorship, right? First Amendment all the way. There are certain things that you could say that would turn them off. You know what I mean? They're like, no, nah, I don't want to hear that. Like, um, I don't know, like anything pro Biden. And they would be like, no, nah, like cancel that guy. Forget him. Yeah. But, there, I, it is funny how cancel culture, like, so many people call it out but then you know are a part uh, of it just as much yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's it is I, I find a lot of irony in, in all that on both sides right and the thing is you just got to find a community that agrees with you but like i think that we should always seek to find people that can offer differing opinions you know and like i grew up in a very small church and we were homeschooled so it was like a very very close-knit community of people and um and there are not a lot of differing opinions in that environment. And then when yeah. I, you know, got into the workforce and I met people who were, you know, public school and and came from different walks of life, I got exposed to like, wow, you actually disagree with what I'm saying right now? What? So I, that's how hunting was for me. I didn't know that people didn't like it until I went to college. Like I just never yeah. occurred to me that people didn't like hunting, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so we'll move on from that um, and talk a little bit about um, 
I think something that a lot of people, and I've heard this from like, I talked with uh, Braden Ware, and he was saying this about your company culture. And he was like, and I would, I don't care where I'm at, as long as, you know, I'm working for Brad, I'm, I'm going to go. And I think that company culture is a huge buzzword right now. But I think it's a buzzword because it is very important. And I think when you create an environment that's comfortable for employees and consumers, you win all the way, you know. Um, so can what in your work history, right, because a lot of building that company culture plays into your leadership of, of Go Wild. But what do you think was like one of the defining moments of you building your leadership strategy or you as a leader in general? How did you develop to, to be the leader that you are to develop the culture that you have in your company now? So I've had a couple things that have happened to help me realize what culture is and what it isn't. I, um, I, I, out of college, uh, you know, through, through college, I worked at the newspaper, the student newspaper, which people may brush that off, but I mean, we had 40 employees and we were the third largest daily newspaper in the state of Kentucky. Um, we, we, we were a, and we were really good. I mean, we Mm. won the equivalent of the Pulitzer prize overall as a newspaper, two of the four years I was there. Um, we, we won, we took first place in several individual Pulitzer slots. Um, wow. like we had a great team and that was a great culture. And I did not know what culture even was back then. Mm. It was college. And it was like, I always called it like, like we're, I would tell my friends that this is kind of like my version of fraternity mm. and fraternities very much have cultures, right? Some of them, uh, are a little too wild or they err on that side of crazy, um, some of them, you know, there, there's, there's, there's just various levels to it. Right. I mean, I think everybody right. knows what I mean by that. I out of school worked by myself for a while, had no concept of working with other people. I uh, did that for years. And when I started, um, at this ad agency, I, I was really impressed with, uh, what I came to understand as culture. And I was young, I was naive and, uh, probably a little dumb to how the world really works, but I was wooed with things like 430 happy hours, um, or, you know, uh, they would every now and then do like, they'd give us all breakfast. It was a couple of times they would bring out donuts and underwear. It was like a hundred dollars under your donut. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I'm getting, you know, that stuff's not culture. Right. Um, what I, what I came to learn was these are perks. This is, this is a, like, it's a perk. It's not culture is not a a kegerator it is not a ping pong it is not being able to bring your dog even right. um you know the these are not things that have anything to do with culture right does um, being a does giving your kids like a ton of gifts make you a good dad right right no, exactly it doesn't same no. thing and actually it's usually like a sign of compensating for screwing up on every other level exactly right? like if you yeah. overdo if you overdo <laughs> that stuff which is exactly what the company was doing right. and so there was there was a, a time when i was drinking the kool-aid and i was like man i love this job um, there was some stuff happened within the company's leadership. There was some changing of the guard and the, the, the company also started not doing well and we started letting people go. Um, and I just, I kind of started to realize that like people were, there were, there were click, there was a lot of clicks within this company. Um, we, we were up to like 50 people, 53 people at one point and I kind of watched it dwindle back down, um, in, in, you know, I think into the thirties when I was fired and it kept going, I think they're in the teens now. Mm. Um, but the, it was super clicky. It was, um, a lot of back, like people talking behind their bosses backs. And 
I, I just really wanted out of that place and I was trying to get out, but I, I was in this awkward position of, I had like two years of experience in journalism. I'd done my own photo agency and I had like a year of experience in advertising. And I'm like, mm. I am unhirable in my mind. Right. I'm like unhirable. This is coming out of the great recession. This is like 2012. Um, so I thought I just had to grind it out and suffer. Um, which I now I'm like a huge advocate against because I see so many people with that mindset of like, oh, I just got to get a couple more years uh, of uh, under my belt to be able to go prove that I can do this. Um, I, I get fired and and I go to this other company and like I was really passionate there about building culture because I wanted to take what I thought was good about that first company and build it into this new one. Well, I still hadn't really identified what culture was. Cause the first things I did, I was like, Oh, we need to do fun things like, Oh, we're going to bake in birthdays. We're going to celebrate, uh, this kind of stuff. And we had a culture committee, a culture committee. And we, we came up with this thing where you get Chuck Taylor's on your anniversary. And like, we did a lot of cool stuff that I thought was culture. Um, I started really getting aggressive when I was working in advertising and reading and trying to because I wanted to elevate my career. I had a goal at the time of becoming a creative director by the time I was 30. Um, and I wanted, to, I was reading about advertising and then I was like, well, I need to learn about leadership. And at some point I got turned on to Ed Catmull's book, Creativity Inc. Ed Catmull is the founder of Pixar. He built Pixar with John Lasseter and um, Steve Jobs uh, from Apple, if you don't know. Yeah. Um, the, the things that Ed Catmull lays out in his book, I realized like, man, they didn't have ping pong tables and kegerators and birthday celebrations. Like none of the cultural lessons in that book are about that stuff. Right. It's all about how they treated each other and how he built his team to try to fail. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember that standing out to me at the time when I read it. I had just become a creative director and I was trying to figure out how to get my team to really go big and take chances. And like, I wanted us to be the boldest agency in town. And I started to understand that in my last agency, you know, there was this culture of fear, you know, everybody would do like the bare minimum, the safest play. we never did bold work because it, it you know, then you risk failing and, and have an egg on your face was kind of the way we looked at it. Uh, but then you're also always putting out mediocre work and that's what you become known for. Mm. And so as I read through uh, how they built Pixar to be a culture that someone could show you this draft of their movie that they've been working on and you could say this sucks, this is absolute garbage and they wouldn't be offended. I was like, I want that. That's who yeah. I would want to work for. And that's the kind of boss I want to be. And it took me. And my, my old boss would tell you it was like years of reviews where like Brad's too blunt. You know, I, I, it took me a long time to find my voice in how I can tell you that you screwed up or I can tell you that this is not good and it's not personal. It, it took me years of learning that myself, but it also took me years with that team to set up a, a infrastructure where it was expected that I'm not going to baby you. But if I tell you you did good. It's not because I'm worried about you leaving or, you know, it's, it's, it's not because I'm babying you. It's because you did really good work. Mm. Um, but I also, if I, if I tell you, you screwed up, like this is part of the process. This is not personal. You right. are not your work was something I learned to reinforce to people. Um, and, and here at go wild, you know, uh, we, we, uh, uh, well, before I left, we, we did a really good job 
of creating a culture of, uh, that tolerated risk, that encouraged risk and allowed you to fail and pitch things that didn't work. Um, and, and we did really good work and we had never done awards before. I, I'm still anti-awards, but like when I, one of my last events I went to in 2018 before I quit and went full-time with Go Wild was an awards thing. And we, we won a couple. And I remember that like, the team really thought that was cool that I, I didn't care. I, I don't even remember what we won or what the work was for or who won. Um, but like, they were really proud of that. Um, mm. and so it was kind of like, I got to see, watch this rise of, uh, you know, from like this and we had clicks and stuff too, but we kind of steamrolled all that out of our culture. Um, and again, it was by creating our little team. I couldn't fix the whole company, but my team of nine or 10 people, we had, um, a culture that, that, Everyone, it was super flat. That's another really important thing for culture is to have a flat culture to where even if the CEO wants to do something and you don't think it's a good idea, you can speak up and say so without fear of getting in trouble or fired, right? Yeah. And so we we had built that in really well. And I think like there were still other things that were out of my control at the last company. Like I couldn't, I couldn't make the CEO share revenue, how, how well a project, how profitable a project was. Um, we pulled that in here. And I think a lot of what Braden would tell you if you were in an in-depth conversation about here, like this is just a super transparent place to work. Um, real time, our team gets uh, revenue reports by the hour. Like mm. literally in our chat system, there's a bot that we built and it tells you how much stuff we sold in the last hour. If you want it by the second, you can go. There's a dashboard. People can see how much stuff we've sold this month. Uh, we do every other week, we do a meeting where our sale head of sales is bringing in what he's selling from an advertising side. We do still do advertising. It's just not our focus anymore. I mean, like it is super transparent. We're startup. So we have runway, which is basically like the date that you uh, will, will be unemployed if we don't raise money or get profitable. Right. Hmm. And so everybody here knows how long we have left and it motivates them because they they are in as much control as I can. I can, I have given them the keys to everything. Like there, there's not the, you know, normally when you work for a company, there are things that you just don't know. Like the, the, the CEO is not sharing how much revenue you make is very common, right? Like right. people, they're very private about that. Right. Um, we don't do any of that here. We're very trusting that more knowledge informs you. And if you know more, you can make better decisions. Um, the, uh, so, so I, I'm given a, a lot of examples of like moments in time that I've kind of realized cultural opportunities. I don't have, I wish I had this boiled down better. I can write stuff like this on one off on a LinkedIn post. Sure. I think someday, like one of my goals, one of my bucket list goals is to write a blog of like how I see culture. And because I, it's, there's something that's working. I mean, I, I don't want to brag too much, but like nobody ever left me on my advertising team. There were people mm. we fired and there's been people we fired at Go Wild. Um, but up until we just lost our first teammate recently who took it, uh, he moved remote and worked remote for us for about a year and then had a really good opportunity to land in his lap for him and his family. And he took it. And that's the first time I've ever lost a teammate. And wow. like, it kind of hit me of like, I don't know, I've been doing this full time since 2018. There was five years before that. So that's like nine years of managing people. Um, and and like the first guy I've had leave, I'm like something is working with that. That's a recipe yeah. that that shows that like people like to work for leaders that man managers, whatever you want to call them, a boss, whatever it is, they like to work at a place where they have control and they can see their they can kind of determine and also figure out how to get to their own destiny. Yeah, and 
I have a recipe for that. I, I wish I had it boiled down to like a brief answer for you. Uh, but eventually one, one of my goals is to sit down one day and to document through my own experiences, uh, my pr- a process and approach to giving people the keys. Yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I think culture is one of those things that it is hard to boil down. And like when I was at the airport, I watched and it's still going on today because I'm I'm obviously I'm like right down the road from that airport and I still have friends over there. So I talk with them a lot and um, trying to decide what to share and what not to share. <laughs> um, culture can be formulated without you doing anything. And it can be either your greatest yes. asset or your biggest downfall. Culture and, will be formulated. It, it, right. You, you it will be. not have a culture. Exactly. Exactly. And I watch like the airport, right? You've got the, the corporate environment, all the people of finance at HR and CEO and COO and everybody in the office right upstairs. And then you've got the rest of us running the operation of that airport, right? And so I watched like a bitter culture form inside of the operators down on the ground yeah. doing everything against the people upstairs and you go upstairs and everybody upstairs like oh yeah we had cake today we had this party blah, blah. there's like this happy little like world that they live in and they don't realize that the large majority of the company hates all of them <laughs> and they're all united against you yeah and so culture will will formulate yeah exactly like you're saying and it could <laughs> it, it culture i i've realized it's it's like water um if mm. i had a if i had a bucket and uh, a rock in it and I poured water around that rock if I take the rock out which could be a toxic employee or whatever it is um, what's the water going to do it's going to fill that fill that space right like culture a vacuum of culture or a lack of culture in the manager's eyes of like oh I haven't really focused on that we don't have a culture that's not true you have a culture and if you haven't focused on it I I haven't worked at like dozens of companies, so I can't say this for a fact, but I mean, just from even just dinner parties and talking to friends, right, of, of, of their company's cultures. I feel like most companies don't think about it and they end up with fairly poor cultures because they, they, they don't have transparency and they don't realize that if you aren't telling employees what's going on, it's not like they don't think about it or talk about it. They talk about it without you there. They come up with their own versions of what's going on. A lot of times they're probably a lot scarier than the truth. I've been at multiple places um, where I just didn't understand why we wouldn't just tell people what's going on, right? Like right. it is it is way better to know 
um, and, and to be realistic with people than to, you know, try to hide stuff. Um, and a lot of, a lot of people in power, um, they, they think that by controlling the information, that's what keeps them in power. But, uh, to me, that's a sign of a weak leader. You know, if, if you, if that's like all you have is you control the spigot of truth, then you're not really a leader. You, no. You're, you know, you're, you're controlling um, the information, but, you know, imagine how much more your team could do for you if they could see how things work across the board. You know, people kind of keep departments that they'll tell literally if your company is a stay in your lane kind of company, you probably have a, a bad culture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a leader doesn't control really anything. Um, they orchestrate and they move people where yeah. they need to be and they trust their employees. When I left uh, my last job, <laughs> my my um, my parting thoughts, they're like asking me about hiring somebody. I said, honestly, um, it's less about my skills as a creative director. You know, um, there are creative directors out there in advertising who think it's like Don Draper and you should show up and gift this team this great idea and then they go execute it for you. And there are teams that run that way. Sure. I manage that team and I manage our team here of I am trying to make sure to remove any roadblocks you have. I'm trying to build a system that keeps you as efficient as possible so that your ideas can flow up because we are such a better company when I have 13 full-time people bubbling ideas up of how to make it better than one guy forcing something that may not even have the full picture. You know, my view is limited on this company too. I don't know how um, all of the back end works on GoWild because I'm not a developer, right. Right? right? So if I try to force feed my ideas down to the team, now they have to go try to execute something that that they know doesn't work. But in, in a lot of companies, they're too afraid to speak up and say, hey, dude, this sucks. Like this isn't going to work or I'm going to spend three times as long to do it your way when I could do it in two weeks if I just did it this way. Right. So you know, I, the way we work now is I, I do generally come up with the direction the company's going, obviously, as a CEO. Uh, I work together with the founders on the roadmap. Um, I'm usually putting forth the direction I want to go. I get it in front of them. They will sometimes reject things or mention things I've forgotten or whatever. And then we work together. We roll that out to the company. The company has clear eyes on what we're trying to do. And then on the how we get there, that's their jobs to figure out. I don't dictate any of that stuff. Like if it's um, if we're building, you know, when, when we launched our new reward system last year um, in September, I did not come in with how we're going to do this. I said, I want a reward system. Here's what we're thinking. And there were actually multiple options came up. The one way I thought we were going to have to do it. And then I kind of was like, this is how we might be able to do it was going to take like four months or something. It was some kind of crazy. I don't remember exactly wow. all the details because I have, I, I'll forget this conversation in like two hours. Uh, but, <laughs> but the, the team came back. They're like, Hey, we could do it your way or we could do it this way and have the whole thing done in six weeks. And I was like, wow. And they explained it to me. It was genius, right? They're smarter than I am. They're, they're, they're better developers. I'm not a developer. Like we put them in control and let their like hire smart people and let them exactly you know, do their thing you know it's exactly. like that old steve jobs quote and it's so true um you know we we try to just get out of the way and culturally that does a couple things it, it recruits a players which again is a steve jobs uh philosophy of a players only want to work with a players they do not want to work with b and c players but when you give people the keys to the castle and let them drive um that 
that recruits A players in itself. But when you have A players who will advocate and say, dude, this is awesome because I get to do it my way. I get to pitch what I want to do. Um, that's an environment they want to work in. And that right. recruits more A players. So right. culture, everything comes down to culture, man. I mean, I, I just think there are so many, like what matters more? If you want to say it's revenue, well, revenue comes from the, your team. You know, if you want to say talent, well, talent's not going to work for bad cultures, especially in this day and age. Things right. have changed. 2020 changed everything. Right. And it changed it to the advantage of me. You know, the uh, the flexible companies who, you know, um, don't care if you show up in flip-flops, who don't care if you work remote. I don't make my team tell me if they're going to work remote for the day, but there are companies that still require that you have to be in the office four days a week and they give one remote day and they think that's being flexible. And, and it's like power to you, man. Cause I'm going to come in. And when I post my job listings, your people want more flexibility, right? Like they're going right. to come to companies that give them and treat them like adults. Right. Right. And oftentimes they'll take pay cuts for advantage yeah. that they want, you know? And it, I mean, I think a lot of CEOs and people leading any company, let alone a team, could take a note from like uh, leaders in the military or, um, I don't know, sanitation of any kind, right? That doesn't have a lot of turnover because the culture, like we just talked to Cliff Frazier, who's a special operations instructor for the Navy here in Florida. And the dude, like they have no turnover. Nobody leaves that that department of the EOD. And so um, he said it all boils down to the culture that they have built there and the environment yeah. that they have built there, right? And the Navy and military is not like, you know, known for paying real well. So it's clearly not money that's keeping these guys here. It's the environment that they're in and the people around them. Another another great book on culture to read is The Culture Code. And it's by Daniel, I can't remember his last name, um, but that actually might be his last name. I can't remember. It's an awesome book, um, but he takes a look at, um, I want to say Daniel Coyle, um, he takes a look at maybe 12 different groups and how they succeeded. One of them's Pixar. Um, he looked at Navy SEALs. He looked at a band of thieves. Uh, mm. He looked at kindergartners and how they <laughs> approach tasks. And the common thread on all of them was that um, culturally that they were, they were in, they had such a uh, team first mentality that when, you know, shit hit the fan really um they did not think about self they just dove in and started fixing when red flags happen at a company um if you've ever worked somewhere and in the middle of the night or late at night something goes down and there's an emergency there's something hot there's a client emergency or whatever uh you'll hit teammates who are like i don't know you'll have to like i not my problem basically the, they may give you a nicer version of that uh, but culturally, um, if you have a, a really good team and culture that cares about each other, uh, they may say, I don't know, but I can check on X, Y, Z, or I can help you get a hold of this person while you're, or whatever right. it is. Like you, it's a totally different mentality when you're, you're hitting problems. If you have a good culture, like right. adversity helps float, uh, the culture to the top so fast. I mean, oh, yeah. it is so fast to find, you'll know what kind of environment you're working in when when it hits the fan and um, you got to figure something out fast that yeah. that's where you can really tell what kind of teammates you've got yeah absolutely yeah for sure all right so i'm running out of time here with you so i'll just i'll got three questions for you number one because this podcast is called try fail learn 
my mom actually pointed out to me, I was talking, she was like, you know, you never ask anybody what a time that they failed is. I was like, that's actually a good point. <laughs> so um, if you could talk about a time that you really feel like you failed or made a big mistake and the lesson you learned from it and how it had built into you. Um, as a company or as an individual? Doesn't matter. However you feel so, like it. I um the the one thing that comes to mind we 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 spent a ton of time building a product at Go Wild, um we didn't test it uh, we like, we just got we we've built a lot of this company by gut like I think mm-hmm. this is going to work because I know this audience blah 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 um we we had this awesome partnership with Garmin and we um we built an activity tracker and so we built it on the watch and. It was going to, we were going to build three different apps for Garmin. And we decided that building an, an activity tracker, kind of like Strava for, for hunting or fishing, building it on your phone was going to be really popular. We thought this was going to be the hot ticket. We actually, for a good chunk of our existence, thought we were going to be Strava for the outdoors. I raised an entire funding round thinking that we were going to pitch like be that like saying literally that we were going to be I had a slide that showed Strava's trajectory and success and how we were going to replicate this. We spent months building these activity trackers on the phone. Um, we we launched this at a trade show with Garmin. It was a big deal. I mean, we were a fresh startup too. We had like four or five we had five employees. And we were launching wow. something with a billion dollar company, multi-billion dollar company, publicly traded company at a trade show. Like this was the biggest deal in my career at the time. And um, we didn't sleep from like literally no mid-November to launch day. I slept like four or five hours a night. So did my team um, and to make the deadline. And and we launched it at uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, funny enough, where we're based. That's where the trade show was. Um, thank God. Cause we were all like barely sleeping and I didn't have to drive very far, uh, to get, <laughs> like to get there. Yeah. Um, we launched this thing and it does. Okay. Like people are excited about the watch app and the watch app was the really cool part, but we thought we were going to get all this traction of people trying the track on the phone, liking it and then buying garments. That was what we were like. The relationship was, um, it totally bombed. It, it was the yeah. worst product launch we, we have ever done. And we, um, we, we ran it for a year promoting it. Um, and just recently I was looking back through some of our old notes for something and it was only live for 14 months total in the app. Uh, we ran an analysis at the end of 2019, it launched in January. And then we launched our gear feature where you could tag gear. This wasn't yeah. the purchase of gear. This was just tagging gear. What gear you're using. We launched that in November and come December 31st. From November to December, the gear thing had like multitudes more engagement, like six times the engagement or something as the activity tracker did for the year. And wow. We were like, yeah, we were like, wow, we whiffed it so hard. Like yeah. we, we started looking into why this was and the our audience uses older phones than, than what's really like most a normal audience. Um, so a lot of them were using like an iPhone 7 that probably had a really bad battery life. These mm. activity trackers were draining the phone. Um, a lot of people just really did not like the idea of sharing a activity tracking, even if it was anonymous, which it was. They felt like we were giving up their location on stuff. Uh, it just completely flopped. I mean, there was like very little very few community tiers when we sunset this product like people almost didn't even notice right it's wow. like and it was so much like 
I felt like my baby died because this was such a cool integration. I mean, it really was a cool product. Um, I mean, Strava is awesome, right? Like you imagine we had it for hiking. We had it for saltwater fishing, for fly fishing. It would track your mileage you walked and all this cool stuff on this wow. anonymous map. And um, it, we have had to kill a few things like that. That And every time we do it, um, there's always this crystal clear moment for me of like, it doesn't matter how much we put into this. It matters that going forward, we're going to have to keep supporting the tech to you know, keep something alive that's not being adopted. So what else could we do with those resources? So it, there's always this really moment, like a moment of clarity where I realized we got to do it. We killed a recipe app too. We had a recipe integration where you could upload recipes and hmm. um, it was really cool, but people didn't use it. So we, we got rid of it. Um, but the, you know, the things I've learned from that is just the, from a product standpoint, and I'm sure there's personal stories I, I could tell too of failure, but from a product standpoint, your audience is going to tell you, if it's working or not, but you got to be watching. We spent a whole mm. year with this product before we really realized that nobody was using it. And that's not mm. good. That's not good. You know, um, you know, I talked, I talked at the beginning of this, like I wished I could have figured out to get to the commerce faster. Right. That's why you didn't get there faster. You spent a year looking at the wrong things. So mm. that's solid. I like that. So what is the, uh, the best and worst advice? Two pieces, best and worst advice you ever got. Oh, best advice. Um, you know, I, I'm sure if I thought like, I, I won't, I don't know if this is the best advice I ever got in my life, but something that somebody said to me in advertising comes to mind one time. I, uh, I was a lowly like community. What it was my title? Social media assistant was my title. I, today it's called a community manager for a brand. Um, but I was, I was talking to somebody who, advertising veteran this guy had been doing it for 30 years or something he was account manager and we were talking about what i do and he's like well what do you want to do be a copywriter and i was like oh i i can't be a copywriter like i'm a journalism background i don't have an english degree um that i couldn't do that and he's like sure you can and like it wasn't even like for him he probably has forgotten he said this to me but having somebody that just believed that i could do it and it was like, it was so obvious to him, right? Like, of course you can. Like, and, and, and now I realize later, like copywriters don't always come up with an English degree. A lot of times there are these weirdos that uh, usually copywriters are the craziest people at the agency. I'll say that <laughs> as a copywriter, a guy who did become a copywriter, um, you know, uh, they're, they're always quirky and weird. And a lot of times advertising professionals have degrees that relate nothing to what they actually do. Like, I think one, at one point I worked at an agency that the CTO was like a, a religions major or something, you know? Wow. Um, but having that guy just say, of course you can. I was like, wow, it was such a minor thing, but it, it, at, at that young age in my career, um, you know, I'd only been out of school for a few years and someone saying, of course you can go do that. was really empowering for me. And so yeah. I, um, with my kids, with anybody I'm, I'm, I've always been more of an optimist anyways, but I try to really like, if, if people want to do things like my son comes up with crazy stuff that he wants to be all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like somebody's got to do it. I mean, if you, if you focus on it and put in your time, I do think you can conquer most challenges. Now yeah. that doesn't mean like, Today, if I went started practicing to try to get get in the NBA, even if I was 15 years younger, I would not get there, right? Like there's there are limitations to that sure. advice, but but for the most part, I think a lot of people, just like I was when I told you I wanted to quit that job, 
this is around the same time uh, yeah. that, that all this is going on. Like me wanting to quit that job, thinking that I couldn't do it. I just needed somebody to believe in me and kind of push me, which mm. all that, all that did kind of happen. And then I literally got pushed because I got fired. Um, <laughs> the worst advice um, I did have, I've, I mean, I mean, honestly, man, like I'll compile this. The number of times I've been told that go wild would not work, that we would not be able to do this. Um, I had an investor, one potential investor that I pitched one time from a, a well-known company here in Louisville. He was the CEO of a big company here in Louisville. And he laughed at me, told me that this would not work, all the reasons it was going to fail. And then he called my other investors and told them they wasted their money investing in us. Um, wow. I have a, a we, we kind of joke about that donut thing um, that I talked about earlier here, because a lot of us worked at that same agency that had the mm. bad culture. And um, we kind of joke about sending uh, FU donuts to some people. So they pick it up instead of a hundred dollars. It's just a little note that says FU, uh, <laughs> you know, once, once this thing is like proven, um, I wouldn't really do that. I'm not that spiteful of a person. I, yeah. Maybe I am, but I wouldn't actually do it because I'm not, I'm not a dick uh, or I try not to be. Um, but the, I, it's amazing to me the, the, the caliber of people that will go out of their way to tell you the reason something's not going to work. Yeah. Um, I, I was raising money here in the early days in our office. We hadn't been in this office for more than a few weeks. And I had a guy come in here and like get angry at the, the type of paperwork we were using to raise our round. And he's like slamming his fist on the table. And he's like, nobody raises money like this in Louisville. And he said, we wouldn't be able to do it. And we were going to fail. And we hit our funding goal, uh, in spite of, you know, everything he said. So I don't have like one moment I'll say on a podcast with all that. I mean, I, there's a bunch of moments I have had sure. so many people and this probably surprises people that don't live in this world of, of asking, you know, raising money and trying to get partnerships along the way. I've had so many people doubt us far more than those who have believed in us. I have pitched mm. hundreds of investors, hundreds. Um, and I'm not exaggerating that. Some people may also doubt some of that stuff. It sounds like it's made up. I get it. But um, I've pitched rooms in one pitch, 300 investors at a time uh, at, at some of these things. I have had literally hundreds of conversations over the years. And most often people are cool. They'll say, good luck. This isn't for me. Um, but it's been, especially in the early, in the early days, it was probably as much as 20% of the time we were getting like nasty feedback. Wow. And I, I've tried not to let that stuff get me down. There's times it's frustrated me. I've never really gotten too worried by anything anybody said. I've had people tell me that the model's not going to work. I've had people tell me that uh, our our audience isn't big enough. I've had people say all the things, but you know, you, you got to just keep on plugging. Uh, if yeah. you really believe in something and you've done the homework and you're the expert, you got to remember that. You can't let somebody come in and take a look at a pitch deck for 10 minutes and think they know more about it than you do. Mm. When I worked at the airport, I got promoted pretty steadily. I got promoted for the first time of three months of employment, and they promoted me to a, a leadership position. And then, like, steadily every eight months got promoted, like, four more times in the airport. It's just because I showed up for work on time, and I did my job, really. It wasn't anything special. It's just a very uncommon thing to find people that actually work. Um, but I got promoted a bunch, and I remember the last time I got promoted at the airport before I left, uh, my boss at the time, who I was being promoted out of his department into another one, just screaming at me about how I shouldn't take this job. This is ridiculous. Nobody's going to want to hire me because I've just, I've moved jobs too many times. 
And I was like, dude, I'm not like going to McDonald's to McDonald's to Burger King to like, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm getting promoted. And that was like, he literally later on sat down with me. He's like, you should not seek out to get promoted too many times because people will think you just want to jump. And I was like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Dude, um, if anybody's on LinkedIn, Adam Karpiak, I think is how you say his name. He's a recruiter and he rails against people who have that mentality. Um, and, and part of his point is this is a scare tactic that, that usually bad leaders use to keep people. Right. Um, and, and it goes back to what I said of, you know, I thought I needed more experience. I didn't think I could make the jump because at some point somebody's probably gotten in my head that if you jump too many times, uh, you know, you become somebody that's risky, a risky hire. I used to worry about that when I would hire because I had had a, a leader tell me that, oh, you, you got to be leery of people that bounce around too much. Um, they don't commit. I, I've really flipped my opinion on that pretty strongly to where, um, I mean, I don't look for it. It's not like I want somebody that hops around. Right. But I see that as somebody instead of like somebody that doesn't know what they want, it's somebody that does. It's somebody that's not going to stick around and put up with your BS. Uh, they know their value and they know that they can go find someone else that appreciates, pre- right. appreciates it. Appreciates it. Um, it's not how long you stay at a company is such a antiquated way to look at value. You know, uh, it's our it's our parents' generation. You know, my dad will end up retiring next year, and he'll have worked for forty years for this company, and there's nothing wrong wow. with that. And he's done really well. That's awesome. Um, my uh, father-in-law worked for forty years at um, KFC Yum Brands uh, that owns you know uh, Pizza Hut and all that. Um, yeah, you know, and and they're both really proud of that time, and that they both did really well financially at what they've done. Um, and I I think the the difference is um, our our generation. My my counter to that for anybody that's worried about that is there's an old saying in advertising that says you don't get promoted, uh, you just change agencies. <laughs> leaving can open up so much opportunity for growth because you can get into positions that you probably don't have the right to be in. And, mm-hmm. and you probably haven't earned the credentials per se. You're probably going to be really uncomfortable and you can grow so fast when you're uncomfortable, right? Like yeah. workouts aren't fun for a reason because you're breaking down muscle tissue that then has to hit, heal, right? Sure. And it's the same thing with your brain. You know, when you exercise your brain and challenge your brain with a new position at a new company and you have to work through new challenges, new resources, that's a, a person that's done that multiple times and still decides to leave and they know how hard it's going to be. That's somebody that's going to like, if I'm looking at a resume, I'm not afraid of that. I realize they probably have a lot of various skills that they're going to bring to the table because mm. they've seen a lot of different uh, scenarios and cultures and budgets. And um, yeah. I think you're, you're going to run into at a larger corporation, especially you'll, you'll hit companies that have that mentality, but that's why their talents bleeding out too. You know, right. a lot of, a lot of, these old school companies just cannot keep talent um, without, you know, signing bonuses and stuff like that. That's how they hold them. There's companies right. here in Louisville that do that too. They'll, they'll give somebody $25,000, which the person gladly takes and they brag to their friends like, man, this is crazy. I got 25 grand. Well, it just so happens. That's about how much they would pay a recruiter. If you left uh, there's that, but then you have to pay it back. 
if you leave within two years, you got to pay it back. So it's like kind of like this wow. dirty trick, right? It's like, you know, they're basically making you stay. Um, and, you know, I don't really believe in that. You know, to me, if um, I can't make somebody stay from wanting to work here or they find a better opportunity, like why I'm not going to scold them for like, oh, you only spent nine months here. Uh, yeah. People are going to wonder what went wrong or why you're so fickle. Like that's, that's such a, it's just out of touch with reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and it's the reality is I don't think anybody really wants to, like you were saying, it's difficult. It's challenging. And it, it takes a lot of work to jump to a new position. Like I told you, I'm moving into sales now. I've never done sales before in my life. I'm going to have to go back to the ground floor and learn how to do a whole different job. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I don't know anything about, but I would love to find a company that I get to settle in for a long time. But I, th I think one of the funny, Adam posts about this scenario a lot. And I, th I think uh, one of the funny, um, one of the funny things he posts about is uh, when, when a company asks you why you job hop, ask them uh, why they have such a hard time holding one person in, in a position. Because <laughs> <It's like, laughs> a lot of times you'll see somebody just churning through a role and it's like, man, they seem to be hiring a, a lot of art directors and really like they just can't keep art directors because everybody hates that job. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've met a lot of companies like that or talked yeah. to a lot of people who lead companies like that. Yeah. Yep. It's very common. Yeah. Very common. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go. I appreciate your time, dude. Thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with me. I think you're the uh, probably the biggest guest I've had thus far. So I <laughs> well, appreciate it, I, dude. I appreciate um, you. You run a great show. First of all, good job. Um, Thank you. I I was excited to come on here and do this. Um, I want to real quick, just if anybody's interested, if I can give a shout out to where to find us. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. So you connect with me there. I, I'm pretty sure that's how Joshua and I met. Yep. Um, uh, it was LinkedIn. Um, so I'm easy to find there. I post a lot of the same kind of stuff we've been talking about, which is why I think if you're an hour and a half into this podcast and you're still listening, I think it'd be the best place to follow me because I post, you know, mostly startup war stories. I post about culture a ton, um, yep. you know, follow me there, go look through some, I've, I try to keep my featured posts there, like relevant to what I want to talk about, which is a lot of censorship and culture. Um, so that's a fun place to follow me. Uh, if you are into the outdoors at all, and we have 75 topics that you can interact with, it's not just hunting and fishing. Um, you can do uh, download our app at downloadgowild.com. Right now we have a promotion going that when you create an account, you're going to unlock $10. So I'm literally going to pay you guys 10 bucks to try our app. Uh, you, you, there's some challenges that you can do. And when you do the challenges, you can unlock shirts or stickers and that kind of stuff. Uh, but as you uh, interact on the platform, you earn points, points earn you more rewards. And um, one thing that's cool to call out is, you know, when, when you buy on our platform, we actually donate 1% uh, of our profits to a outdoor nonprofit that teaches kids to hunt, fish and shoot. So you can feel good about supporting a company that's really trying to give back and not just send billionaires into space. Absolutely. So um, the, uh, you know, I hope, hope to see people there. You'll get an automated message from me when you create an account. So again, download GoWild.com. That one's automated. But if you, if you say hi and tell me that you found me on this podcast, that's always fun. I'll be, it's really me that responds after that. Uh, I yeah. just don't have time to sit down and send like thousands of welcome uh, messages by myself, but I do respond to everybody within two days. So say hi. Uh, I also am on TikTok. That's my new thing I'm promoting is that I'm on TikTok. I'm founding.father and you can see uh, <laughs> ridiculous content there. There we go. Perfect. And I'll put all that information down in the show notes so that you guys can access that quickly and easily. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, thank you, man. Well, hey, that is all the time we have for this episode of the Try, Fail, Learn podcast. I hope that you learned something. I hope you got some value and some wisdom out of this episode. If you did, please don't forget to leave us a rating or write us a review. It really helps us grow the audience. And we'll catch you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.